0: Well this morning it's my privilege to, to share God's Word with you. We're happy that you are here in person. We're happy that you are here online with us. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, my name is James. My wife Anne and our daughters Melody and Joy. We've had the privilege of, of uh, being at Sunrise since we moved to Edmonton in 2007. And uh, we love this church and uh, are happy to be with you here today, and happy to have the privilege to share God's Word. It was some time ago that that Pastor Dennis had asked me if I would share on this week, and uh, it seems like the timing is very good as he's still recuperating from COVID. Um, I've I've entitled this message, Where Do You Live? Where Do You Live? And uh, uh, if you would turn in your Bibles, oh my, I totally forgot my phone. Okay, there were no requests on the phone, so we're we're okay. Um, So, uh, would you please turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 90? Psalm chapter 90, and we're just only going to look at one verse today. Psalm 90 verse 1. Psalm 90 verse 1. And while you're finding Psalm 90 uh, verse verse 1, I want to ask you, where do you live? I know some of you probably rent uh, from somebody. Some of you probably own your own home. Uh, Most of you know that Anne and I work with international students at the University of Alberta. When we first moved to Edmonton, we lived near uh, Southgate Mall. But uh, it didn't take too long and our home was overflowing with students. They were sitting everywhere, I mean even on the stairs. And so we began to pray and look for a bigger house. I'll tell you, lots of effort goes into finding a place to live. We looked at so many houses. We wanted to be near the university, but we found it to be prohibitive. The prices were so high there. We were looking for a house with some certain things. We wanted a big kitchen, and we wanted big open areas, and it had to be close to a bus stop so that the students could find us. So we looked and looked, and we finally find, found the house where we now live. There was so much paperwork, there were inspections. It was the biggest investment we had ever made. There was so much work then to be done to make it our, our home. Choosing where you live is such a big deal. Well, I've, I've been reading in the book of Psalms for a while, and one particular phrase caught my eye. And that was when I got to Psalm chapter 90, verse 1. It was unusual. And, and I, I, it, it struck me. And, and God has been... Speaking to me and nudging me about this verse since that time Let me read Psalm 90 verse 1. It says a prayer of Moses the man of God Did you know that Moses was an author in the book of Psalms? Well out of all of the Psalms. This is the only one that actually is ascribed to Moses Um, But listen to what he says Lord you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations Lord you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations let's let's just pray for a moment God thank you for your word thank you that you speak to us through your words and I ask would you please do that this morning would you touch our hearts in whichever place we need to your touch would you speak to us we depend on you in Jesus name amen so, what does dwelling place mean? It's a habitation. It's a home, a place where one lives. Normally, when we think about dwelling places, and how the word is used in the Bible, we might think of where does God live? God's presence. Well, we read that He lived in the tabernacle. They built a big. They would. They, they made a tent, and they would. The people of Israel carried that tent. Throughout the journey toward the promised land, later on, a temple was built uh, by Solomon—a place for God's presence would be. Um, Eventually, well, well, I mean, eventually, God in the New Testament says, "We are the temple of the Holy Spirit." He comes to live inside of us. Uh, Sometimes we think of God's home meaning heaven. But here, God, here, Moses is saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. God, you've been our home uh, through all generations. He's saying, Lord. When he's saying, Lord, what is he thinking of? He's saying, Master. Master, a term of honor, respect, a term of submission. He's saying, our Lord, our Master, you have been our home. We have been living in you throughout all generations. What? How can people live in God? How can we have our home in God? Can you imagine someone asking you, uh, where, where do you live? And uh, uh, instead of answering, well, I live in Millwoods, or wherever you live, imagine instead of that, you say, I live in God. Uh, can you imagine the puzzled looks you might get uh, if, you, if you answered, I live in God? Uh, so, so uh, it, uh, it's not something that we normally think about. I want to ask you, where do you live? Which home are you more connected to? Are you more connected to that place where you go uh, every day, which is your physical address? Uh, or are you more connected to your home in God? Also notice Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Why say our? Why not say my dwelling place? Well, I think, yes, God is our, uh, my dwelling place, but God is our dwelling place. I think Moses saw himself as being part of a larger community with a special relationship to God. Well, this morning I'd like to do several things. Uh, First, I'd like to look at what a home is. Uh, second, why might the people of Israel said that, uh, and looked at God as being their home, the place where they lived for generations? And third, what could it look like for us to make our home in God, for us to say, our home is in you, Lord. You are our home. So first, let's think about what a dwelling place should be like. What does home mean to you? And I'm actually asking you. I'm gonna ask you for some answers. Maybe you, you can give me one answer and someone else can give me another one. And I, I do recognize that home can mean something different to various people. I understand that some people have not had a good home. Uh, and I'm very sorry if that has been your case, your situation. But I am curious what do you think a home should be like? Uh, can you give me some words to describe what home means to you? So I'm actually asking can someone you know, just feel free to say a word? What does home mean to you? Family. Family. A place where you can rest, a, a place where you can rest your soul. Rest or relax. Rest or relax. Peaceful. A peaceful place. Children. You feel free warmth familiarity pets <laughs> okay that's one i hadn't thought of pets yes and i heard a voice somewhere money pit money pit oh dean oh dean dean says a money pit i think that means like where you find the money oh no he, oh, he's meaning, he's meaning that's where you, where you spend money. Oh, dear. Okay. All right. Anyone else yet? Quarantine. Quarant- <laughs> oh, dear. Brennan uh, says quarantine. Where are you? Quarantine. Okay. Someone else? A Bill, a place of security. Okay. You guys have been great. Thank you so much. Yes. As I was saying about it, a place where we belong, where we are known. Where you can let your hair d- well, some of you have hair I mean, a place where you- well what I mean by letting your hair down sorry, that's an idiom uh, some of our, for some of our international friends where you can relax, you can be yourself, um, where you are accepted unconditionally. Um, a place of refuge, where you are safe, um, a place where you come back to refuel, to refocus, uh, to re-energize, a place of rest a place of joy and laughter, sometimes a place of conflict, but hopefully a place where things are worked out because of your commitment to each other, a place of forgiveness then as well. I like having a warm light glowing in in our front window. We have a lamp near the front window, and I like that lamp on as it gets to be near dusk, and, and we have a little problem in our home. Maybe some of you can counsel us later. But I'm, I'm, one of the, I'm this kind of a person where I like the windows, the curtains to be open as long as possible because I want our home to look welcoming and warm to anybody who goes by. But there are some people in our family, and I am in the minorities on this, so I'm in big trouble, but... Uh, Others in our family feel like those curtains its getting dark. Those curtains should be closed. Nobody needs to be seeing everything that's going on in our house. So um, the other day, I noticed uh, we, we were expecting some guests a couple days ago. And I noticed that as it was getting dusk, all of a sudden someone went to go and shut those curtains. And I said, no, please, leave them open. We're getting guests right away. And I want it to feel like it's warm and welcoming when they come. So... So uh, I could imagine, I, I would like to imagine our home as being a place where someone in need or trouble could come, a place that welcomes the weary traveler. Second, Moses said God had been their dwelling place, their home, for all generations. And I wondered why would Moses say this? It caused me to want to go back and look at how, what life had been like for Moses and his community. When we look at the history of the Jewish people, we see back in Genesis 12 is when God called Abraham Abraham and said, I want want you, and I want you to leave your people. I want you to leave your country and go to a land that I will show you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and I will bless all people through you. That was sort of the beginning of the Jewish nation. God made this strong covenant with him, Um, And by the way, Abram was 75 years old at that time. Abram obeyed, and he headed toward the promised land, present-day Israel. Not long after that, there was a famine, and he took his family, and they moved off to Egypt, and then they came back. And then we read, uh, if you read those verses again and again, you'll read, "'He went to such and such a place, and he pitched his tent.'" And, and uh, uh, for years, these people were living in tents, moving from place to place. I wonder, what was that like for them? And it made me think, I need to ask you, it made me think of camping, uh, uh, tenting. I wonder, does anybody like tenting in this? In this? Oh, wow, okay. Uh, we are a little bit in the minority of people who love tenting, but, but, but it is a strong minority. So I, once again, I'm going to ask for, for you to respond to me in person. Tell me one thing that, 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 is, uh, that you need to know if you're going tenting. What are you doing when you're going tenting? The weather? You're watching the weather, okay? Okay. You have to pitch the tent. What's involved in pitching a tent? Labor. Labor. <coughs> Labor. You have to, what do you have to do? You have to take it out and you roll it out and you figure out which way is the front and which is the back. And, and you have to put to- poles up and set it up. Okay. What else? What are you going to eat? How to start a fire. How to start a fire? all many different things. But with tenting, aren't you, like, aren't you choosing a place? Like it's important. You don't want their t- the, the place in the ground to be like this because if it rains, then you'll be in a swimming pool. So So you have to look, you want it to be flat. You want to remove the stones because you will feel them in the night. Uh, you you have Very important where it is. Not only that, then usually you have to make a little ditch. If it rains, you don't want the water going under. You want when it comes down, it goes into this little ditch and away, right? So you have to think about all- so many things when you're tenting. Make sure it's tied down so when the wind comes, it won't blow away. So, so uh, then you have to put everything into the tent that you need. So, so now can I ask you, now that we're going back to the people of Israel, can you imagine what was it like all those times they went to such a place and pitched the tent? And, and it wasn't just like, I don't think it was just a small family. There were relatives. We know there was Lot and others. There were servants. Uh, they were carrying everything they owned. Imagine setting up and taking down and, and moving again and again and again. Uh, no moving trucks. No vehicles to use to haul. Not easy. Well, when we get to Genesis 17, we read that the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Did you notice God is saying to Abram, the land where you now reside as a foreigner. Hold on, you need to know something. Now he's 99 years old. For 24 years, he's been moving and moving from place to place, and he's still considered by God to be a foreigner in this land. Can I ask you, when you moved to the place where you moved, did you want to sort of unpack and get settled and we're here? Or did you want to think like we're just here temporarily and we're going to, we, we, this is not where we really belong. We are foreigners. We're just passing through. How do we look at life? Where do you live? Are you looking at this as a temporary place and our home is in God? Or, or how are you looking at our home, at your home? So, 24 years and they're still foreigners. Later we read about Abraham's son Isaac, and he moved here and there as well. It was interesting for me to read what Isaac said to his son Jacob. This is now Genesis 28. May he, God, give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner. Several generations later, still foreigners, the land God gave to Abraham. For generations, friends, I think there's something we need to catch here. Do we live day to day as foreigners, or are we trying to set up our little kingdoms, and our, our home is our home, or is, is God our home? Well, the people lived in what was called Israel today for a long time. Then another famine came along. Jacob heard there was food in Egypt. And you might remember that one of his sons, Joseph, had been, had been sent as a slave, uh, taken as a slave to Egypt. Now the people of Israel reconnected with him, and they moved to Egypt, living as foreigners again, slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And then... Then God raised up Moses. And who was Moses? Born as a slave. Born in Egypt as a slave. Born at the time when the pharaoh, the king, wanted to kill all baby boys. Eventually, he was not allowed to stay in his own home. He had to move to the pharaoh's home. And at the age of 40, he left Egypt. And he headed to the desert, to Midian. That's a dry desert area. Today, that's part of Saudi Arabia. Moses got married. Does anybody remember what he called his first child? He called his first child foreigner. Hey, foreigner, please come. Can you set the table? Foreigner, can you please make your bed? Foreigner. Yes. His name was Gershom, but it means foreigner. Can you imagine? That was the identity. That was how he was feeling about life. That's his identity at that time. It says, Zipporah, his wife, gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Forty years later, God led Moses back to Egypt, and he was able to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and to the promised land, the land God had promised Abraham hundreds of years earlier. On their way, they went through the desert. They went back even through Midian. What was the desert like? Barren, food issues, water issues, snakes, not knowing exactly where they're going. They spent 40 years there. But God led them all that time. God was their home. In the midst of all of that uncertainty, God provided for them manna, quails, water. Their clothes and their shoes did not even wear out. Friends, God was their home. For many years, they were a nomadic people. Life had been so transient, but eventually they settled in the promised land, but friends, That concept of being foreigners remained. The world was not meant to be their home. God told the people of Israel in Leviticus chapter 25, 23. And here I'm going to stop and let you turn there. Look at Leviticus. This is such an important one. Leviticus 25, verse 23. Leviticus 25, verse 23. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. God is talking. God is talking. The land is mine. You reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Do you look at that piece of place where you live, that address where you live? Is, that, is it yours or is it God's? And God is making a way for you there. For the for for a while, but you are a foreigner, friends. That's huge. Don't sell it permanently because it's mine. You reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Then, I I, I When we get to First Chronicles chapter twenty-nine and verse fifteen, it, this is another huge one. David, this how long after how, how long after Moses is this? This is a long time. And David says, we are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. It's an identity. There's there's a sense of identity that we are foreigners. And friends, honestly, God has been stepping on my toes because I don't live like that. I don't want to live like that. I want to be settled. I think of our Our home is our home. Uh, It's it's supposed to be God's home, and we are just temporarily there. It's a different way of looking at life. David said, We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. David saw himself and his people as temporary residents, newcomers, lacking inherited rights, tenants in the land. What was stable then through all the ups and downs of the people of Israel? Well, not much. Really? Only God. God had been their home. Looking back at our text, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. And my question for you and for me is, where do you live? Where do you live? I wondered, what if God was not their dwelling place? What if God was not their home? Well, the nations around them followed other gods, idols. There were times when the people of Israel slipped and fell into worshiping created things rather than the creator other things always want to take the place of our home being in God. Moses himself did not always follow God faithfully. Yet he and the people kept turning back to God again and again. He was their home. A few verses from the New Testament. What about Jesus? I wondered, what was, how did Jesus live? Well, the things didn't start out very well. When he, be, when he was so young, do you remember that his, the, the king, Herod, wanted to kill all of the babies. Moses, uh, sorry, Jesus' parents got up and they moved to Egypt. They were refugees. Then I thought, how did Jesus live? Well, can you remember the time in Matthew chapter 8? In fact, that's a good one. Uh, let's look at it. I always wonder, I, I wish we could look more at God's words as, as, as we study his words. and, and I'm, Let's take the time. Uh, chapter 8, look at Matthew 8, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 8, 19 and 20. A teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place where to lay his head. What is Jesus saying? In other words, I'm not sure where I'm sleeping tonight, sir. Do you really want to follow me? Because I don't know where I will lay my head down tonight. Jesus did not live with an attachment to things such as a home, or possessions, things like that. When when we read in Peter, 1 Peter, we we read Peter writing to a group of foreigners and exiles. And this is what he told them. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When I think of Paul, it felt like Paul traveled from place to place sharing God's word, not, not wanting to be too tied down. Sometimes I think we want to be so stable. What if God said to go somewhere? What if God said to move? We would probably have to say, well, God, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, I've got too much going right here. I've got this house I have to take care of. I mean, how, how would God move us if he wanted to move us? I think we need to be... I'm not saying God wants to do that to all of us, but I'm saying we need to be willing, and we need to be living life so that if God does say go, we go. We are, we are foreigners. We're, we're not attached. So... What about uh, <clears throat> So, brothers and sisters, that leads me to m- our last point. How does this passage affect our lives today? Where do you live? Where do we live? And I'd like to look maybe a little bit at our history first. Uh, as you know, this is a Mennonite church. Well, the Mennonite people originated in Switzerland, in, in Germany, in Holland. Many migrated to Prussia, which is known as Poland today, because of religious persecution. From there, they moved to Russia, and from Russia to Canada. Many came to Canada. Some went to South America, other places. My parents came to Canada in the 1920s. Wherever the Mennonite people went, there was danger, danger of losing sight of where their true home was in God. The Mennonite people often started with very little where they moved, but then they did well. They were good farmers, they were industrious, they often became wealthy wherever they went. My parents started out poor. When my dad brought my mom to Alberta from Manitoba, she said she could look up through the roof at night and see stars. And it wasn't because they had a glass roof. Life was difficult back then. Compared to how our people began in Canada, we would be seen as wealthy. Now, we face the danger of getting caught up in the ways of the world, the danger of things becoming more important in our lives than God, the danger of being religious but having hearts far from God, being focused on ourselves and not concerned about peoples around us, not concerned about the peoples of the world, do we always need this new thing? The other day, I was looking at this thing on Facebook, and they, they, were, they were trying to make me dissatisfied for how my house is. They said, if you have granite, that's so common now. Get rid of granite in your house. You, now you need quartz. Do we always need the newest thing? Should we be having a plan to renovate, renovate all the time? Is that what God is calling us to? You need this. You need that. The world will tell us these things. We, need a, we do need a new tap. Our tap is dripping quite badly. So it got me thinking, well, is this the time to do the countertops? <sighs> you know how that works. And it goes from one thing to the next. So Anne and I have to have a talk about this because God's been stepping on my toes. Do we just need the tap? Do you know what I mean? Like, do, why do I have to fit in with what the world is saying? Your house has to look like that, okay? So, we, we face these dangers. Maybe you are not from a Mennonite background uh, heritage originally. We are so glad you are part of this fellowship. We hope you feel welcome here and, and, and that this is your home. But what about your background? Is it possible that in your background, maybe as you look back at your heritage over the years, have, have your people made their home in God himself or in lesser things? What are our lives like today? If someone asks you, where do you live? Do you tell them, well, I live in Millwoods, I live in Riverbend, where, wherever you sleep at night? Or are you, are you thinking more about your other home, your home in God? Is God yours and my home? Honestly, I think this might be easier for some people than for others. For example, if you're having difficult circumstances or if you're new here, it could be easier for you to be thinking like, God is my home. For example, is your life difficult in some way? Are you struggling with health issues? Are you without a job right now? Are are finances tight? Um, Do you feel like your life is not too stable at this time? Are you living on the edge? Well, if so, then you are in a very good position to make God your home. And it's probably easier for you to recognize that. For others who have good jobs, good homes, savings accounts, this idea of making God our home is tougher. We have a good job, a good income, We like to settle down. We want to find a nice home. We want to be stable in every way. Soon it looks like we plan to be there forever. We amass wealth so we will be safe. And our future will be good. And we are comfortable. It's easier to trust in physical things than making our home in God. God has shaken us all up with COVID. Life is uncertain. The economy has gone and is going through some tough times. Our health sometimes is uncertain. The future is not so certain, naturally speaking, if you look at it just naturally. There are some dangers for us all. We can forget that we are strangers here on Earth. We are foreigners. This world is not to be our home. In 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, we read, Do not love the world... Or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the Father is not in them oh dear is this in God's Word I better read it again do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world love for the Father is not in them friends God is really challenging us here everything in the world the lust of the flesh sorry the lust of the flesh what I want the lust of the eyes the pride of life this comes not from the Father but from the world the world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever we can get caught up in fighting for freedom for comfort for we want the lifestyle we had before COVID we can try hanging on to our life of privilege believing that's our rights but friends, it's not. It's easy to live lives of privilege, oblivious to the lives of others who are hanging on for survival, people who are living in, in hurting places, in countries where there's war, where there's famine, and we can live our lives insulated and not even see that. Are we more concerned about our physical home, our physical lives, than we are about God being our home, about God and his mission being the place where our focus is? Where do you go when you're in trouble or having a hard time or hard day? Sometimes it's easy to find ways to comfort or pamper ourselves apart from God. Do you and I think of running home to God and asking for his help? Parents, Are we encouraging our children to live lives in which God is their home, where they are rooted in him, lives where they are surrendered to him for whatever he wants? What about if you are a child or a teen? You are a child or a teen. I am so happy to hear about our teens reaching out to people around them. It blesses me to see our teenagers accepting invitations to serve here in the body. A number of them have accepted the invitation to be welcomers at the door. A bunch of them have ha, accepted invitations to help lead worship. A bunch of them are helping, they've signed up to help lead Sunday school starting next week with, under Marie's leadership. Beautiful. But young people, is there anything you need to watch out for? What are you connected to the most? Is it to God or is it to other things? What is the world telling you is most important? What is the thing that you just must have and then your life will be good? Is it your new PS5? Or is it like, oh, I need to get one of those? Or is it my social media accounts? Uh, Where are you getting your value? Is it in buying things? Is it in nice clothes? Is it in good selfies? Or how many likes I'm getting for this or that. You know, we, we have to be careful. That's not just for our teens. Back to everyone. Earlier we talked about what a home looks like. Could you imagine God being your home? Imagine God, the place where you belong, God, where you are known, God, where you can let your hair down, God, where you are accepted unconditionally. God, the place of refuge where you are safe. God, the place where you launch from, the place where you come back to refuel. God, the place of rest. God, the place where the warm light is on, where you can come when you're in need or in trouble, a place which welcomes you, the weary traveler. God, the place where you choose to live your life from. God, the place where we can then be missional and we can invite others to find their home in him. How can we make God our home? What can we do? I was reminded of John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in, you, in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Brothers and sisters, I think we, we are those branches, and we need to stay connected to the vine. The source of our lives. That's our home. How? I think we have to make time for God in the midst of our busy schedules. Make time to read His words. Make time to be quiet, to be still, to listen. What do I run first to in the morning? Am I getting out my phone to see the latest something? Or am I making time for God? Time to talk to Him. Time to be alone with him. Time to, talk, to uh, talk with him alone. Time with other believers talking to him. We welcome you. We pray at 9 o'clock usually every Sunday morning uh, in, in the office. Could you possibly wake up 45 minutes earlier? Would you like to come and pray together? I know, I know we love it when people pray for us when we're in trouble. That's when we want people to pray for us. But are we willing to be the people to do the praying? Can we, could we do that? It's so easy to rush about our own business, to make excuses why I don't need to make time for God right now. And I have to guard my heart against trusting in other things. I need to choose to live by faith. I must fight hard against the pressures of society, not letting the world tell me how I should live and what my home should be. The more, comfortable, the more comfortable our lives are, the harder we have to work at not being attached to the comforts, to the privileges, to our supposed rights, things like that. And then I remember the community aspect Moses said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. How do we do this as a community? Well, I was thinking, maybe we need to remind ourselves sometimes. You have to come up to me and you have to say, James, is God your home? I can choose to make myself accountable. Please talk to me. If you see me making something else my home, talk to me. Let's make ourselves accountable in keeping God our home. We can invite others into our decision-making. Is this a wise thing for me to do? To make sure that things are not creeping in and stealing the home that God is meant to be to you and me. In all these things, it would be so good if all of this would come from our love for God and then our love for each other. We are not perfect. What happens when we mess up in this? God has been touching my heart. Possibly he's touching your heart. I'm so grateful we can run back to God. Run home. Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to help us to do what he's asking of us. Like the people of Israel long ago. Not long ago, Ann and I were sitting in a restaurant. And as we were sitting there, I'm a curious person. And I tend to see a lot of what goes on around me. So, yes, it was a date with Anna. sometimes she frustrated that I see too much when we're supposed to be having a date. But anyways, a couple, uh, uh, sorry, not a couple, a a young lady came and sat at a table next to us with her two children. So my mind is starting to think, and I'm thinking, she's probably a single mom, and she's having supper with her two girls. How special. The host came and brought them some sheets to color and some crayons. But I'll tell you, I was shocked at what happened next. All of a sudden, my ear heard something, and I couldn't believe it. Our waiter went to serve them, and guess what happened? Those girls said, Daddy, Daddy. I think, like, whoa, what happened there? Suddenly, everything changed. This was not a single mom with her kids. This was not just another customer. It was a different relationship than we or anyone had with that waiter. This was the waiter's own family. I saw the connectedness. I saw the rootedness. I saw the warmth and excitement in those little girls' eyes. They were with their dad. At work they were home with their father in the restaurant I ask you where do you live where do you live today have you made your home in God do you have a close relationship with your Heavenly Father it is possible that you are here this morning or maybe you're listening online And you have never made God your home. Maybe you don't have the close relationship with God that he desires with you. This is your day. Today, God says, if you hear him calling, don't harden your heart against him. God says that we came into this world as sinful people. Selfish. We choose our own way. We're sinful. We do and say things that are not right. And the good things we should do, we don't do. We're broken people. We cannot rescue ourselves. No amount of self-effort is sufficient. We need a new home. We need a savior. God sent his only son, Jesus, to take the punishment that we deserve. Jesus was our substitute carrying our sin and shame upon himself. He, di- he died so you and I could be forgiven. We could have a new life. Jesus paid the, the price of that debt that you and I could not pay. Jesus came back to life to show p- he had power over death and sin. And he wants to adopt us into his family. He offers us the gift of forgiveness, of being adopted. He offers us a new life in which he is our everything you can choose to make God your home come to him now open up your heart confess your sin to him ask for forgiveness turn over the control of your life to him make him your home in a few moments I'm going to make just a few minutes of space for for us to talk to God maybe you are a believer who has walked away from God Maybe you're not as close. Maybe you recognize, oh, I've allowed other things to become my home. Maybe Jesus has been speaking to you about your priorities. Maybe you have allowed other things to steal God's place as your home. He's inviting you to come back as well. In conclusion, I wanted to tell you a story about Saroosh. I asked permission. When Saroosh moved to Edmonton in 2013, he had a very old car. It was like, I would call it, the best word I might call it was a beater. I'm sorry, Saroosh, if I call your car a beater of a car. Saroosh had traveled from Vancouver over the Coquihalla Highway to Edmonton. Everything he owned was in that car. His car had overheated on one of those mountain passes, He had he had to go and get water from a stream and hope that that car would get going again. He was scared. He heard there were bears in Canada, and he thought a bear might get me while I'm going to get water from that stream. It was not a good time. He had to trust. He had to put his trust in God. No bears ate him, and he arrived. When he arrived at our home. He told us how the car had started up again and how he'd managed to get here. And this is what he said. My father was beside me all the way. He wasn't talking about Siavash. Siavash and Tudan were not here yet in Canada. He was talking about his heavenly father. To us. As I look back at this text and as I think about what we've talked about it felt to me like Sarusha's home was in God he didn't have anything else to put his trust in and that touched us deeply friends I love this verse in Hebrews 11 can you please turn to Hebrews 11 Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 10 it's a summary in what we call the Hall of Faith the writer talks about various people and how they had to trust God in their lives. Look at Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his, own, as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger. God said, I'm going to give you that land. But he lived like a stranger, living by faith in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. There is another home that we look forward to. We look forward to our heavenly home, Abraham was looking forward to that. But he was living as a foreigner on his earthly pilgrimage, on this chapter of life, the earthly chapter. There he was living as a foreigner, as did his descendants. Wow. We have, we have the privilege of deciding where is our home going to be. Let's take a couple minutes to be quiet. Let's ask Jesus, Jesus, would you please ask Jesus? Is there something you want to say to me about where my home has been, where you're inviting me for my home to be? If you need to ask his forgiveness, do so. Maybe you need to commit, to talk, if you're married, to talking to your spouse about, about how these things are relating to your family or to your relationship. If you're single, ask God, God, what do you have in mind for me? As I, as, I, as I consider what are you inv- inviting me to do regarding making you my home. So now we'll just be quiet for a couple minutes. Feel free to ask him. God, I just want to say thank you for your words. Thank you for that that psalm of Moses. Thank you for his prayer to say that that he and his people had made you their dwelling place. They They were living in you for generations. God, sometimes we have slipped and we have become attached to other things, and you have not been our home. Please forgive us. Would you remind us, help us to remind each other, this world is not our home. We we are supposed to live in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. We're not supposed to let it infiltrate into our thinking. So God, would you help us as we try to put that into practice? We are so broken. We need you. Would you work your purposes in our lives? God, help us to live like this and then invite others into this relationship of you as being our home. I thank you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.